0: Welcome back to the Rugby League Guru Podcast. This week, we're going through some of our old interviews from 2020, reliving some of those moments, and for me, the one today, it was really special, and it was special because in 2020, I got to interview a lot of people on my own podcast that I listen to their podcasts religiously, and I only listen to about four or five podcasts um, myself, but... I got to interview Mark Boris is one of them. I love his uh, his podcast that he's got uh, the mentor. So to interview Mark was really special. Finchie's another one. I always listen to his podcast when he puts them out. So to have Finchie on was really special. But probably my most favorite po- podcast is The Ice Project by Isaac John. And Isaac John's obviously, you know, um, played for the Penrith Panthers, played for the Warriors, spent some time at Manly, uh, went over to uh, England for a while to play in the Super League. But since... Retiring from footy, it's when his life seems to be really taking off. And he's obviously the man behind YKTR, YKTR Sports, uh, the Ice Project. So a lot of these things I'm a big fan of. You will see me wearing their T-shirts and whatnot. Um, so to have Isaac on, someone that I listen to their podcast all the time, and then for him to reshare share it onto his podcast platform, little fanboy moment for me. And I've got to say, Isaac John, Uh, He's been instrumental in me as far as my podcast journey goes. He's a guy that's given me a lot of tips, a lot of advice, um, and it's been really helpful, and he he really inspired me to keep pushing, and it's heading in the right direction now. And Through YKTR, they've sort of got the same vision as I do to some extent. They want their own sports platform where there's no shit involved with it, Um, and that's sort of what I'm doing. A little bit different to theirs. I, I haven't spread my story as much as they have, but... It, there, there are a lot of similarities there. So to share this 40 or 50 minutes with Isaac, it was fantastic. A really nice bloke, a real funny bastard, and a guy that uh, has really helped me along on my journey. So it was fantastic to have him on. It's one of those moments where I, I've listened to hours upon hours of his, po- his podcast. Then to have him on mine, it was a pretty cool moment for 2020. Let's kick it off. He opts for the former. Isaac John collects a double inside the opening 40 minutes. Isaac John, welcome on, mate. How are we? Great, right, thanks for having me on. It's been a while. I've been looking forward to this one.
1: Thanks, brother. I'm looking forward to it too.
0: Mate, you've probably noticed uh, on your on your podcast, if you've been watching your numbers on your Quade Cooper podcast, it's been going up every day. It's probably me listening to it every three hours. Tell me about your
1: childhood with Quade. Uh, yeah, we just sort of, I met him at kindergarten. He's one of my first ever friends. Him and a guy called Sean Maitland, who's um, played for British Lions, played for Canterbury Crusaders, uh, played for Scotland and that as well. So those were like my three best friends, or two best friends growing up, and we all made it into football, So which was pretty crazy. Uh, but yeah, Quaid, he's, uh, like I said, he's one of those friends where you don't have to talk to him all the time. You just know, you know, they say that day ones type of shit. He's, like, he's actually like one of my day ones he's my first ever friend so um, it's been great to see sort of the career he's had and, and see him grow and see both of us growing as people and as men and while well, we sit down and have great conversations and talk nothing about football but it's been cool it's been cool bro
0: He's obviously been a really polarizing character over the last decade. And to be honest with you, until I listened to your pod, I had a pretty negative opinion on him from never meeting the bloke. Had nothing to do with him, of course. Just the media. The media just eats away at you and you get an opinion of someone. You must be proud of the way that your podcast gives people a different perspective on a champion bloke like him.
1: Yeah, and that was sort of one of the reasons why I started because the narratives that I heard and read about in papers talking about my friends is never true. So um, that was one of the the cornerstones of why I started up a podcast and why we started YKTR Sports because um, it was just like I don't know what I was reading and what I knew was, which was fact wasn't true and like that Daly Cherry Evans probably another guy who's been thrown into that category as well he's done the backflip with the Titans, well documented and stuff like that but like I had people that I grew up with that were bagging like oh what's he like I thought fuck one of the best blokes you ever meet loves his family loves to get home and just look after his three kids wants more kids he just wants wants to be a great dad and, and, and win comps and he actually wants to win comps like there's not many people I know in football that actually really 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 Dedicating their whole career to actually winning comps, but he's one of those guys. And and like I had a guy talk to me, go, "Oh fuck him!" Like he walked out on this contract. But this guy who was talking to me, he was divorced. I was like, "Bro, you know, you know, marriage is a contract too, eh?" That's rich. Goes, oh yeah, I go, "Oh no," nah. he goes, "No, nah, that's different. That's different." Like um, like we weren't seeing like eye to eye. I'm like, "All right, all right, bro." So <laughs> Sometimes. And it shows how powerful the media is. You can put a um, perception in someone's mind and a lot of it stick without even actually meeting the bloke. But um, that Quaid one was important because I knew he was a great guy. Um, But a lot of people look up to him in in terms of culture, in terms of the way he carries himself, the shit he wears. Uh, he's, He's kind of like that sort of new age model, but he was kind of a little ahead of his time as well. So... Uh, you get a young Quay Cooper coming into rugby union now, which they probably need someone to carry that fucking mantle for them. Fuck, it would be game over. It already is game over for him. But um, if it was 10 years later, it would have been fucking.
0: You speak about uh, changing the narrative that, that the media writes. And I guess for you, I imagine your best mate, Corey Norman, the way that you've changed his narrative is incredible. You know, I, I feel like the last decade or so, people have just been waiting for Corey Norman to slip up because there's clicks in it and you can lay shit on him. And to be honest with you, I've probably been guilty of it, you know, not in the last few years, but before that, without a doubt. And then the lid that you've lifted on Corey Norman to see the sort of guy he is, mate, and like it's obviously no shock to you, but from the outside looking in, like you've just done a fantastic job with actually presenting who Corey Norman is.
1: Yeah, and it's like... um. When you when you look at Corey and you see him on camera, he's just fucking one of us. Like he just has the ability to play football, but he just loves the bear and loves chasing girls and loves having a punt, just like the fucking rest of us in our twenties and and like stuff like that. So, like I said, that narrative was super important to change, and we've done that through vlogging uh, with him and Checo did he do those things yeah 100% he done them but he was the type of person that owned up to it like he wasn't hiding he didn't fall back on 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 um, mental illness or depression or or seek counseling or anything like that one of the proudest things um I've seen of Corey he goes yeah that was me like like what's the punishment? So I can, like, <laughs> we'll, we'll go now for coffees. And his name was blasted across the back of a paper, and like he knew everything. Everyone was talking about and was sitting there, and like, but he just he just rocked it. He just owned it, and um, it was so self aware in those type of situations. And I've seen football players go through less and start leaning on counselling and stuff like. Or blame, blame, like mental issues when there's people out there with actual mental issues and stuff like that. So how he handled that was super important, um, and I helped with that transition into that next part as well. So. So, yeah, very important.
0: Another guy that I sort of put in the same pile as I had Corey Norman before, you know, extremely talented, but there was off-field issues and there's a lot more to him. A guy that I had on my podcast a few months ago, and to be honest with you, the only reason why I had him on is because you talked about him and you put the thought in my head and, fuck, I had to dig deep to find him. I'm going through Instagram. I, I, you know, I found some of his friends. I got a hold of him, Timmy Smith, and he came on my podcast and, mate, I, the guy I was expecting and the guy I got, they were polar opposites. And I could tell he wasn't comfortable with me because he didn't know me from a bar of soap. But, like, I, I, I couldn't get as much out of him as I wanted to. Fuck, I'd love to hear him on your podcast, man, with someone that's played with him and knows him and is comfortable with him. He's an absolute Pandora's box, Timmy Smith
1: yeah super interesting guy and like a lot of those types of uh, halves around that time they all got something like a little bit like different about them they're either that all or nothing type of person and then he falls into the same mold as um joey johns where they're both bipolar so fuck they're either all the way up or they're all the way down and it's kind of like you just got to manage it as well but um i get like a lot of credit i've been starting to do those shape types of videos breaking down plays and stuff well aware of them yeah um, like Timmy like I, I was lucky I had access to guys like Timmy Smith and like he their football brains they're like footy heads through and through and I'm, I'm able to pick up information pretty quickly um, I think that's why I've been able to transfer into business and marketing and stuff like that but I was just in there having beers and picking these guys these types of guys brains and had like Trent Barrett and had all these fucking really good smart like Jamie Sells another guy Um, I know he didn't play the toughest style of football, but like some of the education I got out the back of him in terms of fucking kicking and stuff was like second to none. So I've I've stood on the shoulders of some pretty good teachers and some pretty good players. And uh, they're not necessarily the immortals of the Joeys and and Freddies and stuff like that, but they've had the access to the same knowledge. So, uh, and I'm just passing that on in in a different format. But yeah, Timmy, great guy. Um, Fuck and competitive as fuck. Probably had one of the best passes I've been on the end of. I used to play five eight outside of him, and like he's his thing passes, and it's like, ping, like you get a bit of a sting on your hands. Like very man, that like- that
0: two thousand and five season when he burst onto the scene. I don't know if we'll see a better season from a rookie ever, if not a better season from a halfback. It was like 40 odd triassists or something. It was <laughs> PlayStation stats.
1: Crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. And you're like, we're looking at guys like Shawny Johnson, who's on 14, 15 assists like now, and we're all going, fuck, how good's this? But Timmy was smacking out 42 in his debut year. And like the, the the play that sums up Timmy, and I don't know if you'd probably remember this because you're a footy head, but um, semi final. So he's five meters off the line tackle two. He's trying to fucking do a wipers kick over to Eric growth, like on tackle one or two off his own line. So um, that was sort of the type of confidence he had. And when you're off the, when you in your rookie year and you're off the back of the season like that, it's just like, fuck it. Why not? Yeah, obviously he, they lost their major semi, but like, fuck. It's, it's funny when, when I spoke that?
0: to him, he spoke about that major semi. And he said, oh, you know, there was a moment in that game where early in the set where he went for that exact kick you're talking about to Eric growth and it didn't come off. And he sort of went, fuck. It worked every other time that entire year. Then that one moment, it didn't work. And, you know, we looked over at Jonathan Thurston for the Cowboys and just sort of went, fuck, it's not our day. It's it's Red <laughs> Rover here. So very yeah. interesting guy. The other guy you mentioned there was Jamie Soward. And for me, I think he's one of the most underrated players we've seen. Like he's, you know, there's a there's a game of checkers going on in the middle of the field. And is just playing chess with his kicking game, putting, putting teams in the corners like that. That 2010 team, they were stacked. But without Soward... I don't think they were a top four side. They were he he was so crucial to them.
1: You could even say that probably about 2014 when Panthers went on the run to the major semi. And like like this the type of stuff that he was teaching me is like stuff I'd never heard of. Um like the way like you position yourself to kick and it was weird. Like we'll do kicking training and like I couldn't like every kick he could do, I could do and like landed on the exact same spot. Like um, and like I he never really used to practice because he just had that in his game naturally. I used to practice and we used to do kicks. And like in training, like I could hit him like a very similar to Jamie Salad. But in the game, fuck my kicking compared to his But he'd be fine on the ground every single time. He just needed knew when to kick. Um, like one of the, one of the great things he taught me because I was a right foot kicker. I say here's a spot that you should be kicking from every single time. So when you get to tackle two, tackle three, you're starting to think about like who's my best guy to carry the ball so i can get a kick on it and the second one was so like say i'm right for kicker i'm going this way the second one is get get the ball off the ground from the dummy half straight away and as quick as possible so how you do that you start with with a very short pass and then i'll have a prop standing there like that so kick pressure always comes from marker. so instead of them just coming out to chase me like that they'd have to do that little detour so they'd have to like it's a little
0: subtle things isn't it
1: yeah, so like, so like, here's my block player here. Here's the guy at first marker. Instead of him just coming straight to me, putting on kicker, he just had to go around. I'd make that guy go forward, so he had to go around. But because the pass was so short and I'd be kicking on the run, um, fuck the amount of stuff that opened up for me even kicking from like a 6-4 split as well which brings the winger up so when you put it into the corner and if the fullback's going hard you just hook it straight back so he gave me these few couple key subtle things to work on and I was only playing reserve grade at the time but like I felt my kicking improve. like Naturally, the ability—I didn't have a powerful boot, but the ability to put it on the spot where I needed to—I could do that in training. But to transfer that into games, I always kind of struggled with because I was never the first string kicker. Had guys like Luke Walsh and Stacey Jones and these types of guys kicking for me. Um, but just those real subtle things, fucking really, like improved my kicking. And by then, it was kind of too late. I was trying to get into YKTR. <laughs> <laughs> Mate,
0: you just mentioned Stacey Jones there. I imagine growing up, like I know you idolised um, Joey Johns, and we'll talk about him soon. But Stacey Jones. You made your first-grade debut alongside Stacey Jones. Like, I imagine there's fucking five million Kiwis in New Zealand that would have given their right arm to make their debut with Stacey Jones. Must have been one hell of an experience.
1: It was hard, bro. It was kind of hard because, um, like, Stacey Jones was such an instinct type of player. So he come back – my first year in 20s, 2008, he was like our water boy. So he was sort of um, – he was sort of just coming on and you know, like give you advice and stuff like that and like because i was never naturally talented like i needed a breakdown I was like, oh, so if i get into this spot what should i be doing here and like his advice was always sort of instinct he goes but whatever you see, just back yourself i'm like Fuck, i'm not you like i don't have that pace bro <laughs> <laughs> i need you to break it down for me Fucking break it down a little bit more and like when i debuted outside of him um set up a pretty mad try actually to paddy Avan. we played the roosters but um like it was weird because I'd, I'd never really knew how to play second fiddle. I'd always played halfback growing up, coming through the twenties, coming through the um, reserve grade system. It was on me to run the team, so it was sort of the first time I've ever, ever played 5'8". When you play with an old-school half like Stacey Jones, it's very ball dominant, and six plays the um, secondary role. Where today we can split left-right. This is your edge, this is my edge, or we can play three halves if we if we need to, very much like Penrith. But at at the time, it was like fuck and. It wasn't like too much structure it was just kind of like just do your best and there was a couple times where um he'd set up a play and it wasn't on and he'll cancel it late but I, i wasn't mature enough to go oh fuck like if it comes, this is my play here. And he gave me a spray on the field and he was always the nicest guy. And like, if you even at training, if you put a ball like on his knees or like you needed the ball in the in the proper target zone, he'd give you a spray. And it's cool to be on the end of the, a couple of those sprays because you're like, oh, shit, is this is what it's like. This is mad.
0: Fuck, you must be throwing a uh, average pill if you're hitting Stacey Jones on the knees just quietly. <laughs> That's a shoelace yeah, pill.
1: Know. Yeah. <laughs> like he needed it straight on the bread basket all the time. Surely.
0: Can I ask you mate when you were a young bloke like did you ever what what was it a nervous sort of experience like if you were lined up on the left edge or whatever and Stacy was over to the right and it was his ball and you saw something was overcalling a play on Stacy Jones were you
1: almost like
0: nervous nah. to do it were you too polite what what what, what was the go there I imagine it must've been a little bit daunting
1: Nah, I think I was I was super super confident as a kid. So and um, like I, like I said, I'd always been like the main playmaker in my sides growing up since I was like like twelve to all the way up. So I was always comfortable in that. Um, I felt like I, I saw the game all right. I just like, I don't know. I just couldn't convert. Like I just couldn't execute as well as I should have throughout my career does that come back to injuries and different stuff like that. But overcalling anything like that was never an issue for me. And um, I remember when I come back into Penrith and Walsh, he was kind of under the pump a little bit and we were doing a captain's run against, I uh, we were doing an in the session against reserve grade side. And this was my first week in the team um, had five weeks of reserve grade. We were going into play Melbourne. You could see the pressure was on him. And I ever called him one time, um, got a repeat set. Um, and then I remember him spraying me. He goes, I fucking called the ball. Like I need to get the ball. I was like, bro, like your numbers are off. Like, I just caught it. I was like, i go, bro, you don't have to do everything. I'm, like, I'm, I'm here to help you. So, I think with time and maturity, I learned how to play that number six was probably my better position. I think from an IQ tactical point, I could play seven, but I just didn't think I had the ability, to be honest. Mate, like,
0: obviously, I hear you talk about footy now and I see you break down things with your shape. And, like, I interview, you know. Quite a few footballers, and I try and get as many halves as I can because I think they're the most interesting to hear from. And like just from talking to you, I can obviously tell that you see the game better than most. As you said before, that you didn't always have the ability to take advantage of what you saw. Must have been fucking frustrating.
1: Um, also off the back of injuries and stuff like that. It's like um like when I was coming through, like had this full skills full skill set, could step off both feet, long ball chip and all that sort of stuff as well. And then you come into this first grade system and you're sort of built around structure and completions and you got your coaches saying, like, if I complete 90% of these if we can complete 90% of our um kicks, we've got like a eighty-two percent chance of winning. And like I kind of fell into that and it took away from like my natural game. But yeah, it was it was kind of frustrating because you like I knew what to do. It's just like um, I just couldn't really do it, and I just never developed enough games in a row. There's one year like I played like the whole pretty much the whole season 13, um, started 14. Like I was playing really good football, could see the game. The game started to slow down a little bit, so um, things were starting to go my way. But um, I just could never string consecutive games together, and I missed I missed a very um, I missed a couple really key moments in my career that would have developed me into that. So the first one was 2011 coach wasn't happy with James Maloney he goes I'm going to put you in I come in spray my ankle Fuck, first, that's a compliment uh, there yeah yeah like it? that was one because James... um, I've come off a really good season but done my ACL um, and then I rolled in and I was like oh like because Jimmy was always just a larrikin and obviously he wasn't he was still a really good player uh, but this is the start of the 2011 season so I come in um, I was playing with Brett Seymour spray my ankle straight away got taken off at half time just because I couldn't run and stuff and then um, I missed that um, so they were sort of pushing they go oh we're going to try and push between like you and Sean Johnson to be the halves in the future and then they Sean Johnson jumps in and they go on this massive run into the finals and I missed that development I missed playing like like, if you get into that type of side and, and you build the confidence and you go, oh, fuck, I'm playing five on this football. And I'm not saying if I played, we would have made the grand final or anything like that, but I missed the development cycle of it. The second one was 2014, where um, I just finished playing the Ki- like, I had a really good 13, played Kiwis 2014. The week later, a week later, I snapped my Achilles, playing reserve grade. And then uh, Peter Wallace went down two weeks later and he'd done his um, knee. And then Will Smith come in and played 5'8. And then I missed that development again. Like, I recognized, I was like, fuck, I've seen this before. And when, when you get into those key moments and those key types of runs of, of um, like NRL and then you roll into the finals, it develop, you develop this like confidence. And I missed two very big ones where I could have been a part of, especially that 2014 one. Like, I should have been a part of that. And that would have pushed me from, like, a 30-gamer to about a 50-game with final experience. And... Um, they were really key important parts of my life in terms of football that I I missed and um, you've seen guys like Matty Morland start to kick on and and like Mansell developed into like a rep player and it's because I had those experiences and um, I missed out on just through injury and I understood that it's weird it's kind of like a high level like helicopter view or bird's eye view of it but I remember at the time thinking I've missed an opportunity here
0: those sliding doors moments that I guess for us that are sitting on the lounge, watching the teams come out every week, watching the games on Friday night. Like you miss all those things, don't you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And like, but in and, and another breath, I'm fucking so glad those injuries happened to me. Cause it set me up for this part of my life. Like if, if I turned into a, like if I was 25 and turned into a 80 to hundred game first grader by then, I'd probably still be in football. Like I'll be over in England trying to hold on. Like, like, do you know what I mean? And like, even though I, I, I knew when I was 25 I didn't want to play football for too much longer. like Because I had runs on the board and I would have been paid like a decent wicket, I would have stayed in it because I wouldn't know what else to do. So fucking so grateful I got injured.
0: For sure, mate. After you were playing at the Warriors, you make the move to the Penrith Panthers, of course, that you mentioned. Um, Ivan Cleary was the coach there. I imagine he played a a decent role in getting you there after coaching
1: you at the Warriors. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've tried to sign me on for the Warriors a bit longer. Uh, like another three year three year contract like they said I was developing nicely into a first grader and Shawnee Johnson was starting to come through um, obviously Maloney and they ended up killing it but um, they tried to sign me for a three year contract I ended up trying to back myself and then when he got moved on from the Warriors which was super interesting because he took him to a grand final and everyone was sort of saying he left because he got paid more money that wasn't even the case and they were sort of painting that narrative in the uh, media and then like a week before the grand final Blue McClendon come in and he goes oh bro I don't want like you know." Like, you can stay at the club. I know we're about to extend you, but um, you're not going to play first grade underneath me. And this was like a week before the grand final where all three grades went in. I was like, oh, fuck. So I kind of went to Super League. Uh, That didn't really work out had a couple good coaches over there but the head coach me and him didn't really see eye to eye i feel like i've always been coachable like um i feel like i've always been a great student my dad was my coach growing up so i understood the healthy respect between like players and like i'm a quick learner and stuff like that but like he was just kind of a fucking decade to be honest like in terms of people skills like he'd try and like intimidate you and then when you're trying to get out when when like you're on okay money and they're trying to get you out of the club they just fucking treat you like a piece of shit and he was doing that to me so um The only only reason I wanted to keep playing football was because we had a World Cup in 2013 for the Cook Islands and uh, something I was super proud of. But um, that's the only reason I I just trained harder and harder and harder. And then David Fairley, who was the Cook Islands coach at the time, he was the assistant for Ivan. And obviously, I I had a good rapport with Ivan. I worked my ass off underneath him. Um, I was fit as fuck at the time. So he knew I always had a go and I was always prepared. and never let him down. So he gave me an opportunity at Penrith and rocked up there.
0: Rocked up. Mate, you had an impact as soon as you arrived. You came in your first season. You played around that round nine, round 10 mark. And then, you know, I think you won six of your next eight games. And in one of those games, you came up against the New Zealand Warriors, your former club, of course. Three tries and a heap of points later, you were flying.
1: Yeah, it's one of those... Um, like you know t- people talk about flow state where like, you can't, can't really remember uh, yeah. it was one of those scenarios only thing i remember about that game is like oh, i had a good game the week before we played melbourne we're playing 11 bucks and we beat them and then we rolled into the warriors and he goes it's just another game don't treat it like anything else um and he said that to me just before the captain's run before my first catch and like that's the only thing i remember about the game like i don't remember scoring tries like um that game come up about two weeks ago and everyone sort of tagging me in it because people don't really like people knew i played football but they didn't know like it's weird to see me in a sort of scenario now and they go oh fuck you could actually like play right. um so yeah that was a weird game i don't like i'd love to say that I went into a hectic and shit like that i just i don't remember it i just legit do not remember it
0: mate a few guys i want to ask you about that are in that penrith side one of them you mentioned before and I think he's one of the most underrated and underappreciated ball players in the game right now. He just can't keep himself on the field. Matty Moylan, tell me about him.
1: Uh, Matty Moylan. Great thing about Matty Moylan is what when when there's a when you're talented, um, you can sort of pick and choose when you play with Matty Morland you never get that you never question his um, effort in the game and that's the thing I love about Moise the most he's competitive he fucking cares about winning Uh, but like you said Hammy's one of those injuries where once you got him they kind of just sort of stick around for a long time but in terms of skill set he's grown up um, he's grown up with the touch football background his brother's like an Australian touch player he grew up playing touch so those three on two situations like fucking kiddies for him Uh, he grew up not always making rep sides as well and, and a tough Penrith Nursery so he's always got that fucking little chip on his shoulder he was never big growing up he's kind of grown into his body as he's gotten older so um, he's probably like ragged old a little bit through football his mates have fucking knock about Westies and take the piss out of him so he's got he's just got that fucking Westie demeanor about him that it's like fuck you. Like, you know what I mean? Like if you want to doubt me, like I'm, I'm going to prove you wrong. And the scary thing is he's got the talent to back it up as well. So um, I do, He need, I think he needs to be a five, eight. I think the the legs aren't under him anymore to um, mm. be a fullback, which he's very good at. And, like when the sharks were struggling and he comes back in, he, they look like a different Mate, side. They looked know.
0: amazing. As soon as he walked back in the building, it was, it, it was a different footy side.
1: Yeah. And like, um, like the play he tore his hand me on when someone was fucking long gone on a um, intercept, like there was no way in how he's going to catch him. Like Moise is not that quick. Um, but that, that's just the competitive nature in him. Like he's never going to get there, but he'll fucking sprint his ass off to get there. And those are the things people don't really realize about Moise. But yeah, naturally talented, um, cares about football and, um, Get him healthy,
0: bro. He can do anything. Man, I'm not sure if there's anything I enjoy more in rugby league than when Moiser has the ball and a play breaks down and he just plays off his head and he drifts across the line just waiting to pick up people. He just just manipulates a line so well, and it
1: looks like he's just doing it with with total ease. He's an incredible footballer. Yeah, you look at – um, you remember guys like Lockie. He's probably not as quick as Lockie, but you know how they got that sort of gliding fucking yep. um, style about looks button? like That's everyone just Lord... stops in front of them. Like, everyone's
0: yeah. – it looks like everyone's almost scared to tackle him. He's just, he just goes untouched for 30 metres and then
1: finds someone. And it's like um, Lord of the Rings. Now, Legolas, on top of the snow, that's like Moisa. Like, when we used to do Con, like, i will be like, fucking, like, sucking him in. He just glides across the top of the very, like, almost like Kevin Locke. He used to have that sort of gliding mentality about him. Moisa's got that sort of spring about him. So, man, he he needs to do something. And uh, I've talked about this with Tommy Turbo. Like, I know Tommy Turbo and, like, those Trubovic brothers that struggle to touch their toes in terms of flexibility. And does that carry over to hamstrings? I think so. Um, I think he needs to seek... Um, someone outside of their manly like, physio department that specializes in this type of thing because um, you're losing games and you're losing chances to win comps, especially with those two boys.
0: Mate, you are, 2014, you make your Kiwis debut, you mentioned. You came up against five guys in that team that, in my opinion, could be Immortals tomorrow. Slater, JT, Cronk, Inglis, Smith. You know, were you as much of a nervous wreck as I am just thinking about taking on those blokes?
1: No, I wasn't. Like, I've never been a nervous type of person. I've kind of always backed myself, and I've been self-aware enough to know that, like, I was never going to be, like, the best, like, the star player within the team, and I was always happy to play my role. And I always felt like, as, like, if you watch me in reserve grade a lot of the time, um, you uh, like I'd be okay. Like I'd steer a team around the park, but as I started to go higher, I always felt like I felt played better in NRL. I always felt like I played better in big games. I always felt like a bit, and I knew this was just the next progression of it. Um, was not nervous whatsoever. Pretty funny story. Like I, I got dropped. I scored. I think I scored two tries against Parramatta, but Sal we come back in, so I got dropped back to reserve grade. And I was like, oh, I'm not making, I'm not making the kiwis because no one's ever been made the kiwis pick from reserve grade besides like Olsen Filipano, who's fucking the goat. Um, so I ended up getting fucking blind on the Saturday night and just sort of woke hungover, woke up and they're like, oh, you've made the kiwis. And I was like, what? I, I just felt fucking weird to me. So. I was at Dean Futter's house and Natasha she actually works for YKTR now um, she's like oh we're gonna drop you off in Chinatown you guys are staying in the city I remember being so fucking hungover the first day and like trying to do all these interviews and stuff like that and we went out for a beer and Mooks was sitting directly in front of like across from me and um I was like, fuck, all this uh, food starts coming out from, um, what's that ribs joint in you that used to be called? Uh, hurricanes. Nah, not hurricanes. Right. It's, it's similar to hurricanes. Nah, not, um,
0: this- um, Churrasco or whatever it's
1: called. Churrasco, nah, is that the one? it's around the corner, bro. So um, anyway, all this fucking mad food's coming out. And he goes, oh, bro, you, you're eating? I was like, nah. He goes, why is that? I was like, oh, bro, fuck, to be honest, I'm hungover as fuck, eh? He goes, why are you hungover? I go, oh, I didn't think I was making this thing. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, fuck, that's my initiation into the Kiwis. Fucking hungover.
0: Mate, tell me about Stephen Kearney. Obviously, you know the last few months, it's it really took me by surprise. I, I thought he was getting a lot out of the Warriors. All things considered, the terrible situation they're in, it, it really surprised me when they are uh, when they let him go.
1: Um, yeah, like I've only had Mooks and that experience. Fucking one of the most genuine blokes you ever meet. The nicest guy. I do anything for you. He's kind of big into that breathing and all that sort of stuff. That wasn't uh, considered to be cool. Where like we we put breathing and yoga and all the sort of shit on the pedestal now. But yeah, great guy personally. Um, in terms of personnel for Warriors, I don't, I don't think he was a Um, It's probably an unpopular opinion, but I don't think he's the right guy. I think he's when you develop for a Melbourne system and you're seeing success there, you try and build that Melbourne system to other places. And the analogy I always give is cool runnings. Like Mm. when you see the Jamaican side and they have got this natural flair about them and like kissing the egg and all that sort of stuff. And then they try and be like the Swiss side who are just fucking regimented and and, and machines and guys like that. Um, I don't think it works. I think for a long, long time, the Warriors have been trying to be something that they're not. And when you when you've grown up and you, you've watched Sonny Bill play, you've watched Sean Johnson play, you've watched Benji Marshall play, you've watched Stacey Jones play, you've watched Ali Lauer play. We're not growing up trying to fucking complete sets. It's and the other back, it's offloads. Like all the forwards can pass, but they never do. Um, and that's just what's natural to us. So you're trying to force this different type of culture where you've seen success before on a place that's probably not going to fit in my opinion i'd rather see the warriors die on their own sword playing the style of football that they were known for like 2000 2011 i don't think they had too much structure i would put structure for kickoffs so what ivan used to say was like um like if we score five points in the game guys i just need you to be structured for five sets because after we get the score a try i need it to be exactly the same we'll get to a kick and we'll get back to a flow then we can play our natural style of football um It's just like, you know, man, you've got so much talent over there. But in the other way, you could grab a Warriors player who's probably underperforming and then move them into a culture like Melbourne. But the thing with Melbourne, that culture's already built. So you're coming into it, you have to fall in line or you're out. So there's a difference. Like, it's an established culture. You can put Kiwi boys in there that have grown up and doing that sort of stuff. Or you're trying to force this culture on a bunch of group, on a bunch of different, like, players that um, have grown up playing a different style of football. And like my biggest comparison is always Melbourne versus Manly back in the day, and like Melbourne ro- robots boom structure all this sort of shit as well. Manly all these all these boys are going out getting on the piss on a Tuesday night, Wednesday night, but because they all believed in that culture and believed that was important for a team, they just had as much success as Melbourne during that time. Has it sustained over a longer period? Probably not. But like I don't know, it's like you're trying to yeah I know you're trying to. Put it's about like owning your goal. brand
0: of footy, isn't it?
1: yeah and it's fucking hard to defend like when you're when you got guys you can off, offload but offload within a um system it works and ivan used to like you you watch penriff play in like 2014 i was um had a lot of coaches tell him that we were hard to defend against because one we didn't really have a superstar at the time um it, our attack would come from anywhere but we used to offload quite a lot but within um offloading there was a structure within it i won't give away all of ivan's secrets but um yeah, like it, it was like once you offload, we, we had to do something, and like say, that, I'll give you the first one. Once there's an offload, find a skilled player. That was the first rule. So you had the set of four rules that you'd follow. So it looks like you're just fucking around offloading wherever the fuck you want, but it was it was within a system. So, skilled player, um, seven, six, one. So, if you think about it, I'm taking a hit up on a forward. There's always three players trying to get in. That's like a quarter of your team almost. If he gets an offload to, say, Chico, for example, Chico, if he's not going to run, just zing it to um, seven, six, one. That, that was one of the rules. Makes sense, mate. Fuck, <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, mate. Um, you, you mentioned Manly there a bit earlier about the culture they had. You went there after your time at Penrith, and from hearing you talk about Manly on your podcast, I I assumed you played quite a bit of footy there. When I checked, there you didn't actually play first grade there, but the impact that Trent Barrett seems to have had on you, you know, he seems to just be, you know, he seems to have a great footy mind. When I'm watching Penrith play, it looks like he has a lot of say on that attacking structure. It looks like he's had a good influence on Nathan Cleary. Um, as a halfback to me what are your thoughts on Trent Barrett moving forward at Canterbury
1: yeah I think he's the right guy I think moving into that manly system it's a weird bunch over there like um like you go over there and like never had locker rooms everyone just fucking weird bro so you start training at nine like DCE rocks in at 850 <laughs> Jamie Lyon rocks in at fucking like 859 and they just grab their boots walk under the field and like do their thing and and they could sort of cover that up because they were fucking had 11 of, of their starting 13 was rep players. Like They mm. were just all guns and they were all natural footballers in the suit of their style. Where bass sort of come from and they sort of say this a lot where um, if you want to like, you have to pay at Manly to be coach. Uh, he was the first coach that wasn't a player at Manly. So yeah. I believe that to be true. Eh? But I think moving into the Bulldogs, I think he's going to be great. I do think he needs some personnel. I think he's got some salary cap to sort of fuck around with, which has kind of been unfair on Dean Pay. Um, But I, I think that experience, of, I wouldn't call it a failure, but just that lesson of being at Manly and understanding what works um, would be great. He's got a relationship with a few of those Manly players, so it might not be too hard to jack him over because they, they play played underneath him. He's got access to probably the Penrith Nursery. He's probably got an eye on a few different players that have come through the system. Matt Burnham would probably be the obvious one. For sure, yep. So, and like, and he's a great guy, Baz. He's a really great guy. He's like, he's kind of cool to be around because he was a fucking gun. Like, when I got to Penrith and he was a halves coach, I was going, fuck, how good is this? Like, learning off Baz and um, carries himself well, speaks very well, um, pretty calm. And like I said, he's a smart footballer. I don't think it always transfers over when you're a gun footballer and you move into coaching because a lot of the game comes so naturally to you. So, you like, You look at, like, Craig Bellamy, like, Ivan Cleary, like, they're good players. Like, oh, Craig Bellamy was just a knockabout, wasn't Mm. he? But he's been able to transfer. Trent Robinson, probably the best coach. So they understand the game from a broader perspective where um, they've been around superstars and they understand what gets them firing, but they've also been an average player. So um, they talked about, I heard Phil Jackson talk about Michael Jordan's special because he works harder than anyone else, where Steve Kerr would take, like, 100 free-throw shots and that's what made him special towards the team. So it's understanding that balance of all where you can't just coach your A grade, like, like you can't like coach manly and go. If I look at Tommy Turbo, I've turned him into this player because he's always got that natural element of talent about him. Like, and that's what probably makes Bellamy so special, where he can take pick someone up from reserve grade and turn him into a borderline Origin player. And you just don't, you can't just coach A, a grade students. So, um, I think he's going to be good there. I think he's going to be good. I think Bulldogs need to be a good side. Bulldogs are a good side when Parramatta are a good side when the Roosters are a good side. Rabbitohs, Broncos. It sounds unfair, but the competition's just better. It's like basketball. You need the Lakers to be good. You need the Knicks to be good. Um, they're just the bigger markets and they've got the best fan bases, and um, it's important.
0: Without a doubt, mate. Now, I've only got you for a few more minutes here. So, one thing I want to ask you about obviously, you've spoken about when you were playing, you know, if you would have walked into the sheds with a camera around your neck or, you know, f- filming a vlog of yourself, you know, you. I assume you would have got bullied by fucking 20-odd blokes sitting in a change room. We're starting to see that culture change. You know, blokes like Tex Hoy, KP coming along that are just changing the game. Um, I heard your podcast with Lewis Brown the other day. Like, he just seems like an absolute champion. But I imagine back in the day, like yourself, he would have been a bit rogue compared to the other blokes in the change rooms.
1: Yeah, I was the fucking OG camera guy. Yeah. <laughs> nah so like i picked up camera 2012 and like i like, like I said i've always been comfortable in my own skin um so i was, I was sort of lucky because whenever i went into a locker room i got along with everyone so like I, like like if you're a superstar that, that didn't really bother me i could have a conversation with you as well but i would spend time with the guys in the 20s as well like i got along with all these different types of people so um and i was happy to get paid out where i was comfortable but I was probably more comfortable in paying other people as well. So if people would come at me in group chats, I'll just say, oh yeah, I'll spray them too because I didn't really give a fuck. So that really, really helped me. But the transition of it, it's going to just get bigger and bigger and it's what we kind of want to see and um, it's changed already. So you think Jordan Cahoo's selling clothes now. You think um, Dylan Brown's selling clothes now. Um, Adi Savia, Raven, New Zealand, he's selling clothes now and he's building content around himself. Aaron Smith who I have a um, starting to get a great relationship with now, he's building content TJ Perinara is building content so um, they're kind of this new wave of, uh, I don't want to say that we were the first but we kind of were Like we were the ones that started vlogging, we were the ones that started making clothes and um, I think people see us and, and see the benefit in it and see that you can transition outside of football by doing actually things you love as well so the hard thing is just going to it's not hard, but it's like when things start to go bad, like guys got to keep documenting, guys got to keep documenting. And Zachy Lomax is an example of this. Came in my office last year, he goes, I want to start vlogging. You guys have inspired me. Um, he got dropped after like two rounds and he's like, oh, I'm, like, I'm scared to put the vlog out. But you see him playing right now and he's fucking slaying it, he's killing it. He's one of the better centers in the comp right now. And um, I just think, fuck, I wish you'd vlog that whole time Because it, it makes that experience a lot better And it's easy to do things when go, things are going well And, and you're winning And, and like you've got, you know, got fans bagging And shit like that So um, it's going to happen more and more And so it should There's going to be players I reckon people will start hiring videographers Pretty soon with their money Because you're going to make that money back In brand deals and stuff like that anyway um, A lot of people are going to be selling clothes Pretty, pretty soon um, It's going to be interesting, bro I'm excited for the next 10 years
0: Man, speaking of the next 10 years, let's say 10 years down the track, maybe 20 years down the track, uh, the next Kiwi or Kangaroo superstar who's got his own podcast, his own vlog, he has Isaac John on. What's your introduction going to sound like?
1: Um... I don't know like I do get like like I've got it's weird it's weird because I know them now but like when I think about it like and I go back home to my friends and I got like some of the biggest names in the game like texting me and asking me advice about podcasts like like my phone will be down and like Kaelin Pongo fucking pop up and like these guys are the big names but because I see them as friends now I'd love to help them out but I've I've said this on a podcast before. Um, never the greatest footballer, but if my legacy in football is the guy that inspires people to live a better life after football, I'd be happy with that. And like like I said, I've never made an impact in the game whatsoever. People call me average first grade, a reserve grader, and I, I fucking own that. Um, I love it because being average has, has allowed me to be better in my next phase of my life. And if people see me as an inspiration to start a podcast, start a vlog, I start documenting the journey, bro. I'm fucking bro. I'll die a happy man, especially within this game that I love.
0: Brother, you can die a happy man from my perspective anyway. You've inspired me to start my podcast. As I said to you before we spoke, I I read the ebook and I went down to the to the music shore and said, Fuck, I need the Roadcaster Pro, I need this, I need that, I need that, I need that. And they go, Oh, it'll be X amount of dollars. And I went, Fuck, I don't have X amount of dollars, but we'll make it work. Mate, um, what you're doing in the game is fantastic, but as you say, what you're doing, you know, outside of the game is even better. It just gives a different perspective on everything. Your podcast you're listening to on the ice project. If anyone hasn't listened to them for whatever reason, I advise you get on there. Inspirational stuff, mate, really appreciate what you're doing for the game.
1: And it's, like, people say inspiration a lot of the time, but like, I hate trying to be put into that, um, like narrative. Cause it's kind of like a, like there's a lot of people that are trying to be like motivational speakers and stuff like that. I'm, I'm just documenting my journey and documenting my thoughts. And if you get inspired by that, I, I, I'm grateful. So, Don't label me (laughs) motivational or inspirational. I feel weird, bro.
0: Ice, I appreciate your time, mate. All the best in the future. Thanks, my guy. See you at the (laughs) newie. Beaut, mate.